As we continue to make our way through a series of homilies from the book of Acts, we come today to the 10th chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heavens open and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. The word of the Lord. Holy God, again, we place our lives in front of your open word, Asking that as your spirit inspired its writing, so may our hearing of it now be inspired, that the word may change us closer into the image of Christ Jesus, whom we follow and in whom we live. Amen. As you remember, Acts begins with the Great Commission in which we kind of have the, the prologue to the whole book. There Jesus tells his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have typically interpreted this great commission as a mandate, as an imperative, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But what if it's not an imperative? What if it is a promise? How would that change things? You will, I promise you, take this gospel to the ends of the earth. You will be my witness to every corner of the earth. By the time we get to the 10th chapter of Acts, the church has gone through dramatic changes. Not only do we have those disciples who followed Jesus around for three years, but they've been accompanied now by thousands of Jews from various nations speaking various languages who've all been converted and baptized and joined the church. 
We've also had Samaritans join the church who are kind of like half-Jews. We've had a fanatical Pharisee who's been converted and now wants to be an apostle to the church. There's even an Ethiopian or two in the church. It's about this time that the church invented name tags. Just, just <laughs> so many people, nobody knew. And, and Peter was trying to oversee leadership of this dramatically changing church. And now in the 10th chapter, he comes back to center stage on the drama that is unfolding. When we find him, he appears that he has been over-functioning, trying to give leadership to this dramatically changing church. So he gets a little R&R. He goes to a friend's house, which is by the Mediterranean Sea. It's a place where he can shut the gates on his ever-changing world, get a little rest, reorient his life. He goes up onto the flat roof of the house to pray, to try to have his world reconstructed by God. And in the midst of this prayer to God, to make sense of this life that seems out of control to him, a large sheet descends from heaven. It's filled with all kinds of animals, many of them unclean. And the voice from heaven says, rise, Peter, we know you're hungry, kill and eat. And Peter says, God forbid, which is an interesting thing to say to God. <laughs> says, I, I'm a Jew, I don't eat unclean animals. I think he probably also would have added, you're the one who told us this. I wouldn't do that. But the voice from heaven says, never call something unclean that God has made. Oof. That's a game changer. Never call something unclean that God has made. Peter isn't, you know, the sharpest tool in the shed. This vision has to happen three more times. Um, before he, or two more times, before he finally attends to it. But he's not a fundamentalist. Peter's argument with God is basically the same argument everybody has who's seriously devoted to their religions. Religion is a way of, um, all religions are a way of constructing a world that makes sacred sense to us and all religions in making sense of their world provide gates. Doesn't matter if it's conservative or liberal or progressive, we all have some kinds of gates to our religiously constructed world. Gates that say inside the gate is orthodoxy, this is good practice, this is what we should be doing. Outside the gates are things we should not be doing. But the problem with gates, the inevitable gates that all religions, including Christianity and all of its various forms have, is that it's inevitably going to exclude the work of God outside of the gates. Whenever any religion gets to its center, its core, we'll find the affirmation that God holds the whole world in those sacred hands. The whole world. Even the part that makes no sense to our religion. While Peter's having this vision, three men appear at the gates of his house. They were sent there by Cornelius, a Roman centurion, not even close to being Jewish. As a centurion, he was not only Gentile, he was the enemy, he was the oppressor. 
But the text makes it very clear that before Cornelius had heard anything about Jesus from Peter, he had already feared God. He gave alms liberally. He prayed to God frequently. And God heard Cornelius' prayers. And that's why Peter was going to be sent to Cornelius' house. But he had heard Cornelius' prayers before Peter ever got there. That's the important part of this text. I'm sometimes asked if God hears the prayers of the Muslim or the Buddhist or the Jew or the Hindu. And the answer is, of course. God hears the prayers of atheists. God cannot be God without hearing all things. So the question isn't, can God find Cornelius who has a yearning for a relationship with this God? The question is, of this text at least, is can can the church find God outside of its own gates? What if God is at work in the life of those you think are absolutely wrong? or those who oppress you, like the centurion did to the Jews. When I was a pastor serving congregations, I made it a practice to at least once a week have lunch with one of my parishioners, and I always insisted on going to the parishioner's place of work. I'd pick the parishioner up there, and then we would go have lunch. Often these were in offices, and I was always struck when I'd walk into these offices Frequently, large rooms filled with carols. I'd walk by carol after carol after carol where people were working. I would see people wearing yarmulkes and turbans and veils. I'd see someone gesturing wildly. I'd walk past someone who was cursing out the Xerox repairman. (laughs) Heard a lot of phones ringing. Mostly what I saw were just people staring into their computer screens. My first thought always was how different this world looks from the world inside the gated community of the church. There were no stained glass windows, no giant oak doors, no pulpit. My second thought was to remind myself that God was already here among all of these Corneliuses. Then my third thought was to wonder what kind of job I was doing helping my parishioners see the presence of God outside the gates of the church, even outside the theological gates of the church. There is always going to be someone at your gates, and that someone is yearning for God. They may not express it that way. They may just describe to you their heartache after a divorce or a loved one who has died. Or they may be telling you about their health issues. Or it may just be cynicism that you hear about their work. Maybe it's a yearning that they have for something more than they have experienced in life, a dream that has not fulfilled. Those yearnings are already Cornelius' prayer to God. They may not know that, But as the person who's in communion with God, you have to know that. That's what it means to witness. To witness the yearnings for God. Someone 
is at the gates. God is always at work drawing every Cornelius to this holy compassion, this amazing grace. And God is always at work drawing the church beyond its gates to see that there is more to God's work than we know. Someone is at the gates. Maybe a neighbor. Maybe someone you do not know at all. Maybe a stranger you meet on the train. Maybe an enemy. Maybe even an oppressor like Cornelius. And maybe this person has been brought to you to facilitate more of God's ongoing conversion of your life as well. Keep an eye for the person outside the gates. Amen.